Welcome to the show. I've got to say a couple of things because of our intense programming over the Jews. It's nice to be able to say that word. And also, remember, if you're just tuning in, you might listen to some of the other shows. I haven't become some rabid anti-Semite overnight. So there's a reason for all of this propaganda about the Jews. And Andy found a mind-boggling story, actually a very famous story, and uh, it explains the Jews very well. We're looking at a few categories of Jewish people here, okay? We're looking at, I'm not going to do the whole Jewish thing, but we've got the Ashkenazi Jews that we're looking at very intensely. That's who we're talking about here. We've got the Sephardic Jews and the Hasidic Jews. The Hasidic Jews, there may be more, I don't know. The, the Hasidic Jews are the ones that they always tell the stories about. They're secretly raping kids. So that that's their part. That, that's that part of the movie-making industry clan these people are setting up. So this is just fascinating. And you can also download a copy of this for yourself. So I'd be very interested in hearing any of your comments. It is called The Poisonous Mushroom. It is a children's book published in 1938 by Ernst Heimer, H-I-E-M-E-R, important name. I will be referring to it as Giftpitz. That is the name in German, okay, just easier than spelling it out each time. So, But if the book was published in 1938, that means they started writing it a few years before that, correct? You don't just sit down and write a book in a day. So it is a fascinating look into the time because it was propaganda allegedly against the Jews, okay? And it was one of the most widespread pieces of propaganda, which purported to warn about insidious dangers Jews posed by using the metaphor of an attractive yet deadly mushroom. After the war, this guy, um, Heimer, was convicted of crimes against humanity and executed. Mm-hmm. Okay, 1938. The publishers of the intensely anti-Semitic Nazi newspaper, Der Stummer, release a children's book titled Der Giftpilz, or The Poisonous Mushroom. The work taught German youth and claimed to expose the Jews as a threat to Germany. I'll leave off my commentary, but how about the rest of humanity? <laughs> so, the title captures the book's central analogy, comparing the Jews of Germany to a poisonous mushroom hidden among other mushrooms that it may resemble, but the poisonous one carries great danger for those who come in contact with it. Der Giftpilz was one of the first and most well-known examples of popular children's literature that transmitted Nazi, as an Ashkenazi, racial ideology. Okay, there was this guy named Phipps. He did the design, the work. Very interesting piece. I highly recommend you. It's not hard to find. Go look. Use those eyes and ears. So, it is a series of short stories, and I'm going to tell you a zinger of one today, and I'll get to another one um, later. Each story is evolving around a different aspect of anti-Jewish stereotypes, including physical appearance, religious beliefs, and moral character. One page illustrates the Jews' supposed worship money. Ding, ding, ding. Another shows German schoolboys discussing how to identify a Jew based on physical features. 
more dramatic passages show Jewish men attempting to kidnap young Jewish children. Most of these short stories conclude with a poem or antidote echoing an already established tradition in Nazi textbooks of combining blatant anti-Semitic attitudes with more familiar national storylines. What better way to hide than to act like you're the one being chased, right? (laughs) The illustrations and language of the stories also appear to draw inspiration from the tradition of German fairy tales. Some of those German fairy tales are pretty pretty wicked. Um, The Poisonous Mushroom was just one among several texts marketed to children that aimed to distill them with anti-Semitism. It got me my whole life. I was afraid to say anything about the Jews. So, in that regard, the book appears to have been successful, appearing in four, of course, four print editions and numbering a total of 40,000 copies. To promote it, Nazi publishing houses arranged for Rupchek, that's the artist guy, to paint a set of large murals based on the book and present them exhibits at banks, community halls, and other small venues throughout the country. So this would have been heading up to the war, right? Those events were popular, drawing in crowds of German attendees, particularly women and children. Who do I keep saying thereafter? The women and the children. Such exhibits served to increase the popularity of Dear Gipsless and further expand its reach to children and adults alike. Okay. Okay, this guy was a <laughs> Julius Stryker. February 1885 to 16 October 1946 was a prominent Nazi prior to World War II. He was the founder and publisher of Der Stammer newspaper, which became a central element of the Nazi propaganda machine. His publishing is three anti-Semitic books. Okay, yeah, we got those. Okay. Dear Giftschlitz, the story that begins with a German mother explaining to her child how mushrooms are somewhat like people. Some are good and some are poison. The first book, Der Giftschlitz, was transferred Blades as The Poison Mushroom was published in 1938 and used as evidence during the Nuremberg trials in 1945. <laughs> the book claims without evidence that the Talmud is the T-A-L-M-U-D. That's what the this Jewish group, um, well, <laughs> it's their, their Bible or whatever, discourages Jews. So let me start again. The book claims without evidence but I think there's evidence, but this is what they're saying. The book claims without evidence that the Talmud discourages Jews from performing manual labor and encourages them to engage in trade instead. Notice all those Jews ended up in college, bankers, authors, scientists, teachers, universities, Harvard graduates. Mm-hmm. And so it teaches Jews that non-Jews, that may be us, are meant to be slaves and ask Jews to enslave the non-Jewish population and that Talmudic law allows Jews to cheat non-Jews. So, the book was sometimes used in German schools. A copy of the book is held by the U.S. Holocaust Memorial where it is displayed. In March 2020, Amazon got right on it. They took that book off the shelves. 
it was several other Nazi publications. <laughs> I see. Must not, the sales must have been pretty low for these creeps to remove the sales. <clears throat> so let's get back to serious talk here. In the Talmud, it is written. Now, remember, I'm reading from this book, okay? I'm not cooking this stuff up because I do have to say that normally when you do research, you don't do it with any specific goal in mind because that would be tainting it, right? But I do have to say that when Andy started helping me and we started working together doing this research, I did say to her that because I thought these people were Jews for a very long time and I thought they were maybe gypsies. So I thought, well, if she could verify that they were Jews and gypsies, it would make my day. I took a battering from these people. Okay, that's as far as I'll go. So yeah, I'm handicapped, crippled, poor from these people. So yeah, I'm thrilled about this. Okay, this makes my deathbed wishes come true okay to find out these people are jews and gypsies so i'll continue on here in the talamon it is written only the jew is human gentile peoples are not called humans but animals since we jews see gentiles as animals we call them goy g-o-y that's what they call us Sally is 13 years old He is a son of the livestock Jew, Blumstock, from Langenbach. There is no Jewish school there. Sali, therefore, has to go to the German school. His schoolmates don't like him. Sali is fresh and insolent. There are always fights, and Sali is always responsible for them. Today, Sali doesn't have to go to school. He has to visit a rabbi in the city. A rabbi is a Jewish preacher. And this Jewish preacher wants to see if Sali has diligently studied the teachings of the Jewish religion. Sali has gone to the synagogue. A synagogue is a church of the Jews. The rabbi is waiting for him. He is an old Jew with a long beard and genuine devil's face. Sali bows. The rabbi leads him to a reading table where there is a large, thick book. It is the Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D. The Talmud is the secret law book of the Jews. The rabbi begins the examination. Sali, you have a non-Jewish teacher in school, and every day you hear what the Gentiles say, what they believe, and the laws they live by. Sali interrupts the rabbi. Yes, rabbi, I hear that every day, but that doesn't concern me. I am a Jew. I have laws to follow that are entirely different from those of the Gentiles. Our laws are written down the Talmud. The rabbi nods, right. And now I want to hear what you know about them. Give me a few sayings or proverbs that you have heard in the Gentile school. Sally thinks. Then he says, a proverb of the Gentiles is, work is no disgrace. What do do the Gentiles mean by that? They mean to say that it's no disgrace when one has to work. Do we Jews believe that? No, we don't believe that. In our law book, the Talmud, is, it is written, work is noxious and not to be done. Therefore, we Jews don't work, but mostly engage in commerce. Gentiles are created to work. In the Talmud, it says, the rabbi teaches, there is no, no lower occupation than farming. A Jew should neither plow the field nor plant grain. Commerce is far more bearable than tilling the soil. The rabbi laughs. Ha, ha, ha. You learned very well. But I know another Talmud passage that you must learn. He opens the Talmud. Sully must read. The Gentiles are created to serve the Jews. They must plow, sow, weed, 
dig, dig, reap, bundle, sift, and grind. The Jews are created to find everything ready. The rabbi continues his examination. Tell me several more principles or proverbs of the Gentiles. Sally answers. The Gentiles say, be ever loyal and upright. Honor is the surest defense. What do the Gentiles mean by that, Sally asks. They mean that one should always be honest in life. One should not lie and cheat. That's what the Gentiles say. And what do we Jews do? We may lie and cheat Gentiles. In the Talmud, it says, it is permitted for Jews to cheat Gentiles. All lies are good. Remember, too, you can the cops can lie to you, too. And furthermore, it is written, it is forbidden for a Jew to cheat his brother. To cheat a Gentile is permitted. When we loan the Gentiles money, we must demand usurious interest. For in the Talmud, it is written, concerning robbery, it is taught, Gentiles may not rob each other. The Gentiles may not rob the Jews, but the Jews may at any time rob the Gentiles. It further says, if a Jew has stolen something from a Gentile and the Gentile discovers it and demands it back, the Jew would simply deny it all. The Jewish court will stand by the Jew. Kind of like when I had my work stolen by Intel. Everybody ganged up on me like I was the crook, right? <laughs> Funny how this all works, right? Funny how this has all worked out. I'll continue on here. It is also permitted for us Jews to buy stolen goods from a thief when they come from Gentiles. We Jews may also be fences without sinning before our God. Many fencing our goods like in pawn shops. I think jewelry stores have some meaning here. Jewelry stores, diamonds and gold. <laughs> Getting us to buy pieces of glass. Smuggling and tax evasion are also permitted for us Jews. In the Talmud, it is written that we may cheat Gentile authorities of customs and taxes. It says smuggling is permitted, for it is written, you need not pay what you owe. Also, thievery is permitted for Jews. But we may steal only from the Gentiles. The Talmud says, The words you shall not steal in the text refer only to thievery from Jews. Stealing from Gentiles is not meant. What does that mean? The rabbi asked. That means that we cannot steal from or cheat Jews. But we can cheat Gentiles at any time. That is permitted for us. The rabbi is satisfied. Excellent. In conclusion, give me several more laws from the Talmud, dear son. Sali is delighted with the rabbi's praise. Sali says, in the Talmud, it is written, only the Jew is human. The Gentile people are not called people, rather they are named animals. And because we see Gentile as animals, we call them goy. It is also permitted for us at any time to perjure ourselves before a Gentile court. I think they run the courts now, but in the Talmud, it is written, the Jew is permitted to swear falsely before a Gentile court. Such an oath is always to be seen as compelled. Even when a Jew swears by the name of God, he is allowed to tell a lie and in his heart to reject the oath he has made. Furthermore, the book of Sirach says, Terrify all the nations, O Judah. Lift up your hands against the Gentiles. 
incite the wrath of the Gentiles against each other and pour out anger. Shatter the princes who are enemies of the Jews. Wrath of the Gentiles against each other. Did you take those words in? Enough, interrupts the rabbi. He comes up to Solly and shakes his hand. Then he says, you are a fine Talmud student, Solly. You will become a real Jew. Always think about what the Talmud demands of you. The teachings and laws of the Talmud are more important and more to be obeyed than the laws of the Old Testament. The teachings of the Talmud are the words of the living Jewish God. He who breaks the laws of the Talmud deserves death. You should think about that throughout your whole life. If you always follow the Talmud laws diligently, you will join our biblical fathers in the Jewish heaven. Amen. Murder, thievery, and lies. Robbery, perjury, and cheating. These are all permitted for the Jews, and every Jewish child knows this. In the Talmud, it is written, what Jews hate and what they love, what Jews think and how they live. All is a drain by the Taliban. Stick around for the song is my message to you. Be safe out there. Goodbye for now. Chat with you soon.
my brother 